1923, my grandpa on my mom's side, Warren Risser, was born. And, and when grandpa was still with us, I remember him telling me a story about his very first job. He, he was in elementary school and he was an ice cream delivery man. It was during the summer and people would call into the local convenience store requesting ice cream. And on the hottest days of the year, he would run as quickly as he could with frozen ice cream trying to deliver it to their home. Well, in the year 1940, my grandpa Warren married Virginia, my grandma, and they were happily married and they moved into their first apartment in Santa Barbara. And guess how much they paid? $130 a month. That was their rent, not their water bill. That was their monthly rent. Well, then a few years later, they actually bought their first home in Santa Barbara for $25,000. It wasn't a down payment. That was the whole sum of the house. $25,000 in Santa Barbara, California. Friends, I just got to be honest with you. I'm not going to be able to put braces on each of my kids' faces for less than $25,000. Well, in the year 1950, my grandpa went off to fight in the Korean War. And, and while he was in the war, my grandma was traveling around the United States and up into Canada with her family and, and to stay communicating and to stay connected, my grandpa would find out where she was going to be and he would mail letters to those cities that she was arriving in. So with each new city she arrived, there a letter greeted her from my grandpa. And the tragedy of the story is somewhere along the line, either her itinerary changed or his calculations were wrong. And there's a whole slew of letters that she never received that he delivered. So next time you're struggling to text somebody back or, or, or you feel like it's a little bit too much work to call somebody back, just remember there was a day when communication was a lot more difficult. You know, it's interesting to think about how things change over time. It's interesting to think about how we spend our time. Did you know that by the age of 70, most Americans will have spent 20 years and three months of their life just sleeping? So if you're thinking about buying a cheap mattress, just remember you're going to spend 20 years total sleeping. Might as well invest in a good mattress. You'll spend 10 years and five months watching TV. You'll spend seven years and six months eating and drinking. You'll spend five years and nine months traveling. You'll spend 18 months waiting in line and you'll spend six months of your life, six months of 24-hour days stopped at red lights and you'll spend 12 years and seven months working or schooling. In other words, right after sleeping, the thing that will occupy the most amount of your time is your education and your work life. You see, this means it's incredibly important that we have this conversation today. You see, we're beginning a brand new series called Before You Leave, pausing long enough to consider if when and how you should move on. And today for week one of our series, we're talking about before you leave your job. 
This term has been thrown around in our culture right now called the great resignation. And it was coined by Anthony Klotz, who's a professor of management at May's Business School at Texas A&M University. And in May of 2021, he predicted what ended up happening, a sustained mass exodus in the workforce. Some have called this the big quit. Others have called it the great reshuffle. The Washington Post recently announced that in December of 2021, a record number 4.3 million Americans voluntarily left their job. And the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics reported that 47 million Americans voluntarily quit their jobs in 2021. Before you leave your job, what should we consider? What I wanna do for our time together in God's word is I wanna begin by giving you a theology of work. How does the Bible talk about work? Then I wanna look at four questions you and I should consider before leaving a job. And then I wanna land the plane, inviting you to consider two essentials before leaving. But let's begin by talking about a brief theology of work. I wanna start with this idea. Christians, Christians should be the very best employees or students, the very best supervisors or tutors, and the very best teammates or classmates. It's important that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you be intentional about how you experience your education and how you are in the workplace. So let's talk about a brief theology of work. Number one is this. In the beginning, there was work. Now I'm borrowing this title from a chapter in Tim Keller's book called Every Good Endeavor. And it begins with, in the beginning, there was work. But let me show you where he gets this from. In Genesis chapter one, in the opening pages of the story of God, it says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then check this out. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. And then let's jump to chapter two, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. It's interesting because only humans, in fact, humans are the only thing that God creates that he also gives a job description to, that he gives them something very specific to do. The words are to subdue, to rule, which means to lead, to take care of, to manage, to continue what God has created. And notice that God gives this command to work before the fall. It's why Tim Keller in his book, he says this, while the Greek thinkers saw ordinary, especially manual labor as, or ordinary work, especially manual labor as relegating human beings to the animal level, the Bible sees all work as distinguishing human beings from animals and elevating them to a place 
of dignity. And what's interesting in the scriptures is there's all kinds of occupations mentioned. In fact, there's homemakers and there's students, there's farmers and bankers, there's owners and there's skilled and unskilled labor. There's, there's artists and military jobs and government work and teachers and managers and cooks and writers and salesmen and pottery workers and doctors and lawyers and judges. There's musicians and musician construction workers and designers and all sorts of other jobs. God designed you and I to work from the very beginning. Number two in our theology of work is this. God gives us the ability to work. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy chapter eight. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Before you and I become too confident in our own skills, in fact is you are skilled, you do have talents, that that you have gifts to bring and leadership to bring, but you and I must remember it was God who gave us that ability. That it is God who has given us the abilities and the opportunities to work. Number three in our theology of work, our work should advance the gospel. Here's where we need to think biblically about work and how it should function in our lives. This is one of the ways Christians think differently than the world. We're not just looking for the next promotion or the next raise or what am I getting out of this, but we are looking to advance the gospel in everything we do, including our work. Look, look at this moment in Paul's life in, in Philippians. He says in Philippians chapter one, now I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about being chained up. He's talking about being imprisoned. So you're not just even tired. Maybe, maybe your work feels really difficult right now. Well, Paul was in a really bad situation, but it has been used to advance the gospel. Look, it continues. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. This is incredible. Paul is saying, even though I'm in a tough job in a tough situation, God is advancing the gospel through my circumstances. You see, if we're gonna think Christianly, if we're gonna think biblically, if we're gonna think as as people of God about our work, we need to remember that there's more going on than we can see with our eyes. That God wants to use you and I in our workplaces, in our schooling atmosphere and environments to share the gospel, to advance the gospel, to demonstrate Jesus to the world. But in order to do this, you and I have to have a pledge. We, we have to have an agreement. We have to have a commitment that what guides our lives is God. I, I wanna show you a video in a minute of my sweet, kind, beautiful little niece, Cadence. She is just an amazing girl with just so much life and energy. And, and, and when I heard her say this pledge that she's been working on, that she'd been learning at school, I just thought to myself, how cool would it be if every one of us, like Cadence, woke up in the morning with this conviction, with this motto, with this mission statement, for our lives as we go to school or as we go to work. Let's watch this together. 
I pledge myself to God the Father, who created me and loves me. I live this day by faith in Jesus his Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit, guided by his word to do his will for his glory. Amen. If you and I had that kind of mindset going into the class or going into our workplace, I think we would start to see God advance the gospel through our lives. And you see, if you're a follower of Jesus, and maybe you're not yet, maybe you're just exploring faith, here's one awesome reason to consider following Jesus is that for a follower of Jesus, you are not what you do. And for many of us, if we don't have a relationship with God, it can be easy to think, well, I am what I do. I am my job. That is my primary identity. But I want to remind you that you are not what you do, but what you do is an opportunity to display whose you are. I'm going to say that again. You are not what you do, but what you do is an opportunity to display for the world, for your classmates, for your fellow employees, For those that work with you, who you belong to, who you follow, who is the Lord of your life. This is why Paul in Philippians chapter three, verse 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship, our identity is in Jesus, not in our work. Tim Keller says it this way, becoming a Christian gives us a new perspective on every culture, every worldview, and every field of work. In the long run, the gospel helps us see everything in a new light, but it takes time to grasp and incorporate this new information into how we live and pursue our vocations. Now, I don't believe God's desire is that every person would be in full-time vocational paid ministry. Now, God's desire is that all of us would be serving and active in ministry, that we would be using our gifts in the body of Christ. But this principle of advancing the gospel with your work is intended for the places in the marketplace, at school, in whatever profession you're in. Number four, when we think about our theology of work, number four, work will be meaningless if we can't find joy in it today. Listen to the words of Solomon, who was arguably the second wisest person, second to Jesus. In his own words, Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Aren't you glad you came to church? I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun. Why, Solomon, why? Because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. You see, Solomon at this moment wasn't able to enjoy the work before him because he was just thinking about the future. Uh, Important to our theology of work is that we remember that God desires for us to be in the moment. This doesn't mean that we don't think about what's coming next, but, but not at the cost of missing out and becoming blind to what is going on right now and the joy God wants you to have in your work today. And then lastly, number five, in our theology of work, we will work in heaven. Just like we began 
recognizing that in the beginning there was work. Well, we will work in heaven. Look at Jesus's words in Revelation chapter 22. No longer will there be any curse. This is good news. No more sin, no more pain, no more betrayal, no more, no more uh, water cooler gossip, no more uh, uh, people trying to one up each other for that promotion. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Jesus is talking about us serving him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Jesus says that for all of eternity, we will serve him and we will reign with him. I don't fully understand what this means. And I'm so excited for our Revelation series coming up this summer where we're gonna dive into these passages. But what I can begin to conclude here is that there will be things for us to do in heaven, that you and I will have responsibilities in heaven, that we'll be managing it with God, that we'll be leading, that we'll be co-creating. I don't know all the details of it, but I do know that you and I will experience fulfilling work like we've never experienced before, but that we can in some ways experience even today. Now, maybe some of you find yourself at a season of transition. You're contemplating leaving that job. You're contemplating leaving that school or switching majors or switching careers. Well, in a, in a culture of great resignation, we want to pause for just a quick minute. And I, I wanna offer four questions to consider before leaving your job. And, and there may be some of you right now who this message is for you. I mean, you're at a critical juncture. You're at a critical moment where a decision has to be made. But for some of you, you need to tuck this message away in your pocket because you're gonna find yourself in this situation at some point. Or maybe, if you, maybe some of you have a friend or a family member, someone you love and care about, a neighbor who, who needs this encouragement, who needs to reflect on these questions at this moment in their life. Question number one is this, is God done with me here? And this is again, one of the ways that as people of God, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, the most important question that we should ask ourselves before leaving something is not, will I get paid more if I go there? Will I have more opportunities if I go there? Will my self-esteem be increased if I go there? No, no, no. The first question that Christians, followers of Jesus should ask is this, is God done with me here? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It, it, can, be, it can be incredibly easy and tempting even when there's difficult things going on at work or in school to just lean on your own understanding and to get out as quickly as possible. But, but the scriptures advise us to pause and to, to consider something else. Verse 6, in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. In other words, just because you're in a difficult situation right now does not mean that you should leave. And in the same way, just because work's really comfortable right now doesn't mean that you should stay. But you should be asking the question, am I sensing that God is done using me here and has something else for me? I, I love this question that John Ortberg that John Ortberg offers you and I. He says, people who follow Jesus ask this question, God, what problem in your world would you like for me 
to address? That's a great question. And, and maybe it's the loneliness of the people that are in your cubicle. You see, maybe God has you at the job you're at to use your gifts and talents and to provide for your family, but, but also for his purposes. Maybe God's not done with you because there's some coworkers who don't know about Jesus. There, there's some, some, something about the culture or the atmosphere that God wants to invite you to help shape. Or maybe God wants to do something miraculous through your work. Uh, over 10 years ago, my wife Sarah and I had the opportunity to lead a group of high school students on a missions trip to Kenya, Africa. We had an amazing experience and, and we traveled to one of the villages, Eldoret. And, and while we were there, we met this incredible couple by the name of Joshua and Miriam, Joshua and Miriam Mabithi. And, and they help run Nima Children's Home in Eldoret. And, and what's incredible about this couple is they have made a decision that they're going to take in all orphans that have HIV or AIDS. And so all of these kids that we had the opportunity to interact with were born with or contracted HIV AIDS and were not accepted in their families or were sometimes left out. And Joshua and Miriam have decided we're gonna take them in while we were sitting in their home talking with them. Joshua and Miriam, they shared a story with us. They said, you know, we've just seen God provide over and over through our work. They shared that there was a, a season, there was a day where they needed milk for the babies that they were taking care of. And, and they went to the fridge and all the milk was gone and they didn't know where they were gonna get their milk from. And, and they became very nervous and very concerned, but, but they prayed and they said, God, would you please provide milk for these babies or they're not gonna make it through the night. Well, a few hours later, they got a knock on their door and, and the man on the other end, when they opened the door said, hi, I'm sorry to, to bother you, but I'm a milk truck driver and my truck just broke down right outside of your place and, and all the milk in it is going to go bad. Do you happen to need any milk? To which they said, yeah, all of these kids, they need milk. You see, maybe God's not done with you where you're at. Maybe God still has some miracles that he wants to perform and do in your presence through the work that you're doing. Question number two to consider before leaving is this. Am I skilled at what I'm doing? Look at the attention with which God has given you and I skills. In Exodus chapter 35, talking about God, it says, and he has filled him with the spirit of God and with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. This is incredible that God has given every single one of us skills and talents and gifts, and you have been given skills and talents and gifts from God. And you want to use those in your workplace. And maybe, maybe one of your skills is conflict resolution. Maybe there's a cultural problem in your workplace. Maybe there's a conflict between two people. What if God wants to use your skills of relationships, your skills of reconciliation as you've been reconciled to Christ and been given the ministry of reconciliation? Maybe God wants to use you in those ways. 
But a question to ask yourself is, am I skilled for the kind of work that I'm doing? Question number three is this. Is my job doing more harm than good? This is an important question. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 13. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If you're in a job that's doing harm to people, you need to honestly reflect and think on that. Is this what God has called you to? I mean, medical professionals make some kind of oath, some kind of declaration that they will do no harm. Maybe you're thinking now, man, is is my job doing harm to the world, to, to other people? Well, as I was thinking about that question, I was reminded of a story that I read once that went like this. Alfred Nobel invented dynamite in the late 19th century. When his brother Ludwig died in France, the newspaper mistakenly printed an obituary about Alfred instead of Ludwig. As a result, Alfred had the unusual experience of reading his own obituary. To his dismay, the focal point of the piece was the destruction brought about through his invention of dynamite. Devastated to think that he would be remembered that way, Alfred gathered friends and loved ones around him and asked them, what is the opposite of destruction? They unanimously replied, peace. As a result, Alfred redesigned his life and set aside the bulk of his estate to establish the Nobel Prize so that he would be remembered for peace, not destruction. Nobel Prizes are given to those who during the preceding year have conferred the greatest benefit to humankind. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do to reinvent in some ways so that you're not doing harm, but, but you're bringing peace, you're doing good. You're partnering with God or maybe your job is doing harm to you. I think about when, when Sarah, my wife, Sarah, early on in our marriage, she was doing a lot of TV and film. She was acting, she was going on auditions and, and towards the end of her time in that career, I remember her coming home from auditions and just being drained and, and just feeling discouraged And I mean, she was such a light out in that world. She was telling people about Jesus and God was using her and and she would come home and she was just feeling drained. And and then around that same time, she started substitute teaching just to kind of bring in some more income and kind of do that on the side. And, And she'd come home from substitute teaching, literally so excited. I remember saying, this is not normal. I mean, I don't know about you, but whenever I had a substitute teacher in class, that was not the day to be on my best behavior. That was the day we were getting away with murder. That was the day we were pulling out all the stops. And so here's Sarah as a substitute teacher, and yet she's coming home excited, rejuvenated, alive. And it was through that process that we realized, you know, that what she was, the work that she was doing in acting at that time for her, it was doing more harm for her than good. And so she made that transition. Question number four, before you leave is this, are those who depend on me in support of this decision? Paul in second Thessalonians, he writes, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. 
Scripture is clear that if we are able, it's important that we work. That in fact, by our work ethic and the way we work, we reflect God, that you and I are responsible for representing Jesus in the world. Now, now there are some of you tuning in who, who you can't work or you can't go to school because of a, a medical condition or, or a difficulty or a challenge or a circumstance you're in right now. And I don't believe Paul's talking to you. But I think Paul's talking to, to those of us that are able to go to school, that are able to work, that, that it's important that for those who depend on us, that we be intentional and that we commit to the work and the school that God has blessed us with. Well, after thinking about our theology of work and after asking those four questions before leaving, maybe some of you are going, I'm, I'm sensing that it's my time. I'm sensing that a transition is coming. Let me just offer two essentials for leaving well. Number one is this, on your way out, be a blessing. Look at this passage in Deuteronomy about the last moments of Moses' life and leadership. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all of Israel. I am now 120 years old and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord, your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Let's pause here for a minute. Moses is 120 years old. He has been leading the Israelites for a long time. Now, these people have been described in scripture as a stiff-necked people. Moses' patience has been tested and he is about to give the final speech to them. And it would have been very easy for him to say, Israel, you are the worst, right? Right? It would have been easy for him to say, you have made my life miserable. It would have been easy for Moses to give them a piece of his mind, but he didn't. In fact, he went in an entirely different direction. He chose in his last speech to be a blessing to them. He chose to tell them, be strong and courageous. God is not done with you yet. And then he identified Joshua in their presence and says, this is your new leader. You see, he made a radical decision that on his way out, he was going to be a blessing. And then look at what it did in, in Deuteronomy chapter 34. The Israelites grieved for Moses once he passed away. In the plains of Moab, 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses' speech worked. The transition of leadership happened. It was incredible. Why? Because on Moses' way out, instead of being a curse, even though he wanted to, and maybe some of you are going, man, I, I just can't wait to tell my coworkers what I really think about him. I can't wait to tell my supervisor all the things I'm frustrated about. I can't wait to finally say what I've wanted to say for the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years. But maybe God's calling you on your way out to be a blessing. 
to help the thing flourish and thrive even once you're gone. To speak so highly of your coworkers and the people around you that the place is better because of how you chose to leave. Number two, second essential for leaving well, on your way out, finish strong. Proverbs 14, 23 says, all hard work brings a profit. All hard work, even work done up until the very end brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Maybe it would be your intention, your desire. Of course, I'm gonna finish strong. Of course, I'm gonna write that last paper well. Of course, I'm gonna finish that last assignment that my boss asked me to do. But it's easier to talk. It's harder to put it into action. And friends, if you choose on your way out to finish strong, it'll be the harder way, but it'll be the better way. It'll be the more memorable way. Because after all, how we leave, how we handle our way out, how, how, we, how we experience our fourth quarter will be how people remember us. In fact, I wanna invite and encourage you. One of the ways I think you can prepare to finish well, whether that's school or work, is to pick up a copy of Pastor Glenn's book. One of his books, The Fourth Quarter Fumbles, Keys to Finishing Strong is all about this. And and you can get this online. You can get it here at Purpose Church in our merch store. But I would encourage you to pick this up if you wanna reflect even more on how you can finish strong. And let, let me end with this. How you work and how you are as a student could make a lasting difference. In 2006, when Sarah and I were just friends and, and uh, we were part of a college ministry, our whole college ministry went out to uh, St. Louis to participate in the Global Urbana Missions Conference. I think there were you know, 30,000 college students at this conference. And, and we landed in St. Louis and got everyone into taxis, this was before Uber, got everyone into taxis and off into to their hotels. And my friend Jeremy and I were the very last to leave the airport. And we jump in a taxi and, and we decide to stop at Del Taco on our way out, on our way to our hotel. And we asked the, the cab driver, is it okay if we stop there? And he said, yeah, yeah, sure. And as we're driving there, he's telling us his story about how he's from Syria and he, he's working these incredibly long hours here and he sends money back home and he hopes one day that his family will be able to come to the state and to live with him. And, and then we drive through Del Taco and, and we ask, or, or we, we talk to each other, Jeremy and I, we say, hey, let's, let's pay for his meal. And, and as we're driving up about to pay for it, we, we tell the guy driving us, we say, hey, we'd like to buy you dinner tonight. And he said, absolutely not. And we said, no, we wanna buy you dinner. And he said, no, I'm going to pay because you are a guest in my car. You see, the way this taxi driver worked will forever have a lasting impact on my life. What if the way you go to school, the way you go to work, who you are in those places could have an eternal lasting impact? Well, I want to invite you back next Sunday for week two of Before You Leave.